bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, May 26, 2020. I hope that you and your family are safe and well and had a relaxing Memorial Day weekend. And on Memorial Day, we're able to take some time to honor the sacrifice of those who died serving our country. This was our first national holiday since social distancing became a new norm. For many of us, social distancing meant honoring Memorial Day as well as celebrating the unofficial start of summer from our own homes. Hopefully you were able to spend time with your members of your household or connect with family and friends and honor those who died in service to our country, albeit virtually. Turning to this week's podcast, I have insights to share about a couple of big headlines. The first is on the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency's sweeping changes to the Community Reinvestment Act. By sweeping, I mean that the OCC made substantial changes to the CRA framework that could sidetrack essential investments in affordable housing and community development. After that, I'll talk about Treasury's proposed regulations concerning the historic tax credit. I'll detail how the long-awaited guidance provides clarity on a number of issues, including rules to coordinate the new five-year credit period with other special rules for investment credit property. I'll close with news about various COVID-19 relief proposals. One of the proposals I'll discuss would enhance the low-income housing tax credit. The other would amend the Paycheck Protection Program. If you're ready, let's get started. Last week, the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency released its final rule, amending Community Reinvestment Act regulations. The day after releasing those final regulations, Comptroller of the Currency Joseph Otting announced that he would step down as head of the OCC. Now, Otting will be replaced by Senior Deputy Comptroller Brian Brooks, who will serve as Acting Comptroller of the Currency. Looking at the substance of the revised area regulations, it's fair to say the sweeping changes they will cause OCC-regulated banks to revisit their CRA investment activity, and as such, could have a major effect on tax credit equity markets over the coming months and years. Now, the proposed rule received more than 7,500 comments, and the Novogratic, LIHTC, NMTC, and Opportunity Zones working groups were among those submitting comments in response to the proposed rule. As you know, CRA motivates many banks to invest in certain tax incentives, such as the low-income housing tax credit and new markets tax credit. In fact, some estimates suggest that more than 85% of investment in low-income housing tax credits and new markets tax credits comes from CRA-motivated investors. CRA also encourages investment in historic tax credits, renewable energy tax credits, and opportunity zones. Now, that incentive to invest largely came from the investment test within the previous CRA regulations. Under the old rules, the CRA rating system separately considered three buckets of banking activity, loans, equity investments, and services. The OCC's new CRA evaluation framework is based on a ratio of CRA activity to bank deposits, measured bank-wide and in each of the bank's assessment areas. Now, I should note, these new rules don't become effective immediately. There is a transition period. Now, what does this transition to a new evaluation framework mean for affordable housing and community development equity investments? Now, time will tell, but we may see a decrease in equity investment pricing for the long housing tax credit, new markets tax credit, opportunity zones, historic tax credit, and renewable energy tax credits. 
Dropping the separate investment test from the CRA framework means banks could begin to favor other CRA activities that are easier to execute and require less capital. And if so, it would mean that the CRA regulations could cause a drop in tax credit equity pricing. Now, reduced tax credit equity pricing would obviously mean less capital for affordable housing and community development. Now, there is one positive aspect with the fund regulations, and that's that the OCC did provide some concessions on the performance standards. Now, these concessions were those that Novogratic-led working groups helped champion during the comment period for the proposed regulations. More specifically, under the proposed regulations, there was concern that too much emphasis was being placed on the dollar volume of investments, with not enough emphasis on impactful, targeted banking activity. There was also concern that the proposed 200% multiplier for community development loans and investments would actually lead banks to reduce their level of community development investments. In response to these concerns, the Novogratic Low-Income Housing Tax Credit Working Group, the New Markets Tax Credit Working Group, and Opportunity Zones Working Group submitted comments on their proposed performance standards. These groups recommended that their regular agencies use more subjective, temporary assessment standards, similar to standards in place under existing rules. The working group suggested using these temporary standards at least until sufficient data could be collected to ensure that the new metric works as designed and meets the goals of the CRA. The working groups also urged that no bank should be able to reduce their community development investments and still receive a satisfactory rating. Fortunately, the OCC made concessions in the final regulations. Comptor Auding said that the OCC will defer setting thresholds for grading banks' CRA performances until the OCC receives necessary data to determine appropriate percentage thresholds. Furthermore, the OCC included a provision ensuring that no bank may use the 200% multiplier if they reduce the dollar value of their community development activities from the previous exam period. Now, as a quick aside, if you're not a member of a Novogratz working group yet, consider this your personal invitation to join one or more groups. Our working groups provide a platform for stakeholders to help resolve technical and administrative issues for various tax incentives. Now, as I mentioned, we have a low-income housing tax credit working group, a new markets tax credit working group, an opportunity zones working group, and a renewable energy tax credit working group. I'll include a link on how to join each working group in today's show notes, and I'll tweet it out as well. Now, turning back to the final regulations. I should note that the OCC released the CRA regulations without the backing from the other two banking regulatory agencies, the FDIC and the Federal Reserve. The FDIC joined the OCC in releasing proposed CRA regulations in December, but withdrew its support before the release of the final regulations. Meanwhile, the Federal Reserve was opposed to the proposed regulations from the beginning. This decision by the OCC to move unilaterally on the final rules is very unusual. CRA reform has historically been an interagency effort. The OCC split from the FDIC and Federal Reserve means there will be two sets of CRA regulations, one for banks regulated by the OCC and another set of regulations for banks regulated by the FDIC and the Federal Reserve. However, most tax credit bank investors are regulated by the OCC. Now you can see which tax credit bank investors are regulated by the OCC, FDIC, and Federal Reserve in my notes from the Democratic blog post. You can find a link in the, in the show notes as well as on my tw- Twitter account. I'll tweet it out. Now, Novogratic is going to do a deeper dive into the implications of the OCC's final regulations 
and an upcoming webinar. Now, the date for the webinar isn't quite been determined yet, but it will be announced soon. I'll share the date and registration details in a future podcast episode as soon as they're finalized. Now, staying on the topic of regulations, Treasury released long-awaited guidance on the federal historic tax credit. The release came last Thursday. Guidance was in the form of proposed regulations that clarify rules on the new five-year period for claiming the historic tax credit. The big picture is that the proposed regulations are good news with no major surprises. I commend Treasury for taking stakeholder input into account in developing this guidance. Novogratic and industry groups have worked with Treasury over the years to provide feedback on important issues that greatly affect historic tax credit investments. The recently released proposed regulations are consistent with how tax practitioners have generally been interpreting the new five-year ratable historic tax credit. When it comes to coordination with Section 50, taxpayers are generally in the same position as they would have been pre-tax reform. Now, Treasury does provide clarity in several key areas. We now have the benefit of certainty with respect to a few items. One, how ratably is defined. Two, how the historic tax credit is determined. Three, coordination with Section 50 recapture rules. Four, coordination with the timing of the basis adjustment. And five, coordination with the Section 50D income inclusion. These proposed regulations are important in light of significant changes made to the historic tax credit under 2017 tax reform. One of the major changes in that tax reform was the period over which taxpayers claim the historic tax credit. Before tax reform, taxpayers generally claimed the historic tax credit in full once the property was placed in service. But under the new law, not so new, but under the December 7, 2017 law, taxpayers claim the historic tax credit ratably over five years, beginning with the year in the year the property is placed in service. This rule applies to historic tax credits, I should note, resulting from qualified rehabilitation expenditures paid or incurred after December 31, 2017. There is a transition rule, and this assumes the property is not subject to the transition rule. Now, the change from a one-year credit to a five-year credit raised some questions among historic tax credit practitioners, like ourselves. For example, is the rehabilitation credit determined in the year the building is placed in service and then allocated ratably over five years? Or are there five separate rehabilitation credit periods determined during each of the five-year periods? Now, the tax reform legislation was not completely clear on the answer. Most practitioners proceeded with the assumption that the tax credit is determined the year the building is placed in service, and there aren't five separate periods. That was the practice under prior law. Treasury has confirmed that interpretation is correct with the new recently proposed regulations, which means you take 100% of the store tax credit and divide the amount equally over five years. Now, Treasury said this interpretation is consistent with congressional intent, and the allocation method does ensure that the sum of the ratable shares never exceeds 100% of the credit for qualified rehabilitation expenditures. Now, the proposed regulations also provide clarity on how the Section 47 historic tax credit interacts with special rules in Section 50. Under the proposed regulations, taxpayers will generally have the same federal income tax consequences from the rules under Section, under Section 50 as taxpayers claiming the historic tax credit under prior law, which means there's no changes on how the Section 50 tax credit recapture rules or the basis adjustment rules, or the lease property rules apply. Now, what can taxpayers do if they decide to adopt this rule early? Well, taxpayers who are claiming the historic tax credit can rely on these rules regulations before they become final, if such taxpayers follow the rules in their entirety and in a consistent manner. 
Novogratik does not believe this will have a major effect on how transactions are structured. If you want to learn more about the proposed rules and how they could affect your restored tax credit investments, please contact my partner, Tom Bosha. I'll include his contact information in today's show notes and tweet it out as well. I also invite you to register for our Novogratik webinar on qualified improvement property changes for historic rehabilitations. This historic tax credit webinar is this Friday, May 29th. This training is going to cover issues related to qualified improvement property, Section 50D implications. It'll discuss these proposed regulations I just discussed and much more. This will be a great webinar to attend to learn more about how qualified improvement property affects your transactions, whether the transaction has recently closed or is about to close. I'll include the registration link in today's show notes and tweet it out. Now again, this training is this Friday, May 29th. And if by chance you're listening to this podcast after May 29th, or if you're otherwise unable to attend the live webinar, you can access a recording of the training on the Novogratik website. Now turning to other news, Senator Ron Wyden of Oregon released an outline of affordable housing policies that he'll push to have included in the next round of COVID-19 relief legislation. Senator Wyden is the ranking member of the Senate Finance Committee, so his priorities are influential. He would become the chairman of the committee should the Democrats take control of the Senate in the fall. Senator Wyden listed a series of low-income housing tax provisions that he wants included in future legislation, such as suspending some deadlines for low-income housing tax properties that are currently under construction, but whose timelines have been affected by the pandemic. Senator Wyden also supports setting a minimum 4% floor for low-income housing tax credits, for lowering the 50% test so that more developments can access 4% tax credits, as well as allowing developers and investors to begin receiving local tax credits for buildings that are not leased up due to the pandemic. Of course, we're weeks away or longer from the next COVID-19 relief bill. In fact, Bloomberg quoted Senate Finance Committee Chairman Chuck Grassley of Iowa, suggesting that negotiations on the next round of relief wouldn't start until mid to late June. That said, widened stance is good news for affordable housing advocates. I've shared his proposal in today's show notes, and we'll tweet out a link to the document as well. And I want to stay on the topic of COVID-19 relief because I have a quick update about the Paycheck Protection Program, or the PPP. As a quick refresher, the PPP is a forgivable loan program that provides financial assistance to businesses that have been affected by the pandemic. PPP loans are eligible for forgiveness if the borrower uses the loan for payroll, rent, mortgage, interest, and or utilities. Now, the amount of the loan eligible for forgiveness is reduced to the extent employee headcounts or wages are reduced. Demand for PPP loans has been substantial. That's an understatement. As of May 21st, the Small Business Administration had approved 4.4 million PPP loans worth $512 billion. One of the major issues being examined is extending the duration of the forgiveness period beyond the current eight weeks. To that end, the House this week is expected to vote on legislation that would extend the loan forgiveness period of the PPP. The legislation would also allow businesses that take loans under the program to defer payroll taxes. Now, the bill is called the Paycheck Protection Program Flexibility Act, or H.R. 6886. If passed, the bill would extend the PPP loan forgiveness period from eight weeks to 24 weeks. That's obviously if passed and signed by the president. Now, the bill would also eliminate the 25% cap on non-payroll expenses for purposes of calculating forgiveness. And the bill would ensure full access 
the payroll tax deferment for businesses that take PPP loans. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said that the House wants to approve the measure quickly and send it to the Senate. Now, the Senate released its own version of the bill, the Paycheck Protection Program Extension Act. Senators are expected to consider the Paycheck Protection Program Extension Act when they return from recess on June 1st. Now, the Senate obviously isn't expected to take up the House PPP bill until June at the earliest. Much like the HEROES Act, the House Paycheck Protection Program Flexibility Act won't be passed as is by the Senate. On a positive note, there is broad bipartisan support for the PPP in both the House and the Senate. Washington insiders expect lawmakers will find a compromise on the PPP bill far sooner than they will on a broader Phase 4 bill. While we wait to see how the legislation progresses, remember that Novogratic is here to help with your questions about PPP. If you want help with your PPP application or certification of need, please contact Novogratic's Megan Murphy or Risa Kareem. They can provide assistance. Our team can also help with tax or accounting questions you may have about your PPP loan. Well, that brings you to the end of this week's report. Before I close, I do invite you to register for Novogratz's two virtual conferences being held in July. We're going to host an Opportunity Zones virtual conference on July 15th and a New Markets Task Force virtual conference a week later on July 23rd. Register today and you can get the early bird discount for both events. The early bird rate is only $49 for each conference. The early bird registration deadline is May 31st for the Opportunity Zones conference and June 7th for the New Markets Task Force conference. You can avoid the hassle of trying to remember those early bird deadlines by registering for both conferences today. That's it for now. I'm Michael Novogratik. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived podcasts are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. You can find related links referenced in this podcast in our show notes at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast. Novogratik and Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.